welcome to the show, everybody. On Monday, February 12th, this is Fantasy Baseball Today. Adam, Heath, Scott, Chris. I am feeling a big week. You Darvish is just the beginning. I think we're going to get J.D. Martinez this week. I think we're going to get Jake Arrieta this week. Expect a newsy week, fellas, okay? I oh, think we're going to oh, have a newsy Adam. week. I think Adam, you're right. Wrong you're players. So, you're so innocent. Why, Wrong what? players. <laughs> Why? Well, come on. I'm, I'm old enough to remember when... All that needed to happen was Shohei Otani and Giancarlo Stanton needed to get moved, and finally everyone would start signing. Have faith. I, I would expect Lance Lynn will sign, and Alex Cobb will sign. Um, I mean, it is almost Valentine's Day, right? right? Yeah, it it's, is. It's what, we're two weeks away from spring training games starting to be played? A little more than two weeks away? And um, then we got to get so to it. So maybe you're right. I, I, I am would right. love it if you guys were right. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I just I think uh, it's very possible JD Martinez, Eric Hosmer, Mike Mustakas, it's going to be a little while. The Boris thing. I don't think it's his fault necessarily, but I don't think you can look at this winter without including that looking at it through that lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's time. It is time. And you Darvish, six years, hundred twenty six million dollars to the Cubs. Could be worth up to hundred fifty million. He can also opt out after two seasons. We will talk about that. We don't have a lot of news to get to today, but we do have some rankings disputes. And what about these guys? Every day this week, I think we're going to do four shows this week, so each of the four episodes, I will pick eight players that are going pretty late in drafts that I don't feel like we've talked too much about, and I will ask you, hey, what about these guys? And then you tell me, hey, what about them, you know? Do we, should we care? Do we care? Are they bargains or are they worthless? Uh, let's start with you, Darvish. And by the way, your email is at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. That's I as in interactive. Everybody have a good weekend. Outstanding. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Sure. Everybody good as Heath's. <laughs> what? As good as Heath's weekend? Uh, no. Nobody's nobody's weekend was as good as Heath's weekend. It sounds like Heath's mm-hmm. Heath always has a good time at home, though. You know. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Why was it's Heath's off hours. So I don't know. I went to the it's pool yesterday. Ah. Oh, the pool. The pool. Yeah. Yeah. Heath, Heath's living the high life. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you Darvish is now living the high life. Value up, down, or the same? You Darvish to the Cubs. Value is the same. Neutral environment, great lineup backing him. Can't really see much reason to say it's better or worse. Uh, I think the most fascinating part of this deal is that the Cubs decided they needed to sign the most attractive free agent pitcher, even though probably the second most attractive was one they just had for a long time, one who just won a Cy Young award for them in 2015. And even though... They just gave up their top prospect for Jose Quintana in the middle of last season, and even though they still have John Lester signed to a big long-term contract, they felt like they didn't have enough pitching and had to spend a ton of money on it. So that that says a lot because both Lester and Arietta were pretty disappointing last year, and in ways that underlie the stats even. Both their velocities were down, both of their uh, – well, Arietta's swinging strike rate was down, but both their strikeout rates were down. And – um I'm not sure the Cubs are super confident they're going to bounce back, which I, I wasn't either. But I no. thought the really interesting thing was that, like, according to leaks, the Cubs tried to give a bunch of money to Jake Arrieta. Only after they were down the road with you, Darvish, though. It would, it, well, right, it was, but I would was not their think second that Arrieta would be like, oh, no, you're talking to someone else. I'm not going to take your money. Well, <laughs> yeah. maybe he is. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, the the fact that it seemed like the the way it was described, and this was in a, a John Heyman story, John Heyman, a fan rag sports, um, the way it was described, 
uh, was that they, after they were already down the road with you, Darvish, they, they talked to Arietta, giving him one last chance just to see if things didn't work out with Darvish, if Arietta could be their option instead. Yeah, that was, the report is that it was like, well, if Darvish doesn't accept our offer, will you? Right? Yeah, I mean, I that don't know. That doesn't if it was... really sound like Jake Arietta turned down the deal then. Well, it said he said no in the piece. Right, but that's, that makes sense. Would you have said no if you were in his position? Maybe. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's that's kind of a – like, beyond just, like, the numbers and whether Jake Arrieta is worth that, it's also, like, that's insulting. Yeah. And these are prideful people, and that matters. Like, to some players it doesn't. Mm-hmm. But it's not surprising that a player would be like, no, I don't want to be your plan B. Well, okay, let's talk about you, Darvish, because before Tommy John's surgery – he had a 283 and a 306 ERA in his first two seasons. And then after Tommy John surgery, he had a 341 ERA and a 386 ERA. Uh, he was terrible in the World Series. We know that. It may have been because he was tipping pitches. He's been a lot better on the road than at home his last two seasons with Texas and with the Dodgers. Had an ERA under 250 on the road each of those two seasons. ERA over four at home. Um, so I don't know. I mean, look, it, we know he strikes out a ton of batters. We know his he's not going to be a great whip pitcher, not that he'll be a liability. So I think it comes down to ERA, really. Is he a three? He's probably not a 386 guy, but is he a 340 guy? Or is he a low threes guy? That's probably the difference between Darvish being a true ace and being just, like, really, really good. That's that's my well, my take on it. Last year's really the, the outlier um, when it comes to his league-adjusted ERA. In 2017, he had a 118 ERA+. Plus. Previous three seasons were 134, 130, 145. So I think given the league context and where he pitched, he's probably a better pitcher than his raw ERAs suggest. From last year, definitely. Yeah. I would say. I Well, just I, overall. I, I think the 341, we look at a 341 ERA, but in Texas, in the American League, in this new context – he wasn't any worse in 2016 than he was in 2014 is what I'm trying to say. Uh, well, also, 340, sorry, 341 ERA is was, a little limited in terms of like, okay, what was DeGrom last year? I think he was the number 12 starting pitcher. He had a 353 ERA. That was the highest of any of the top, like, right, 15 Right, but I'm arguing pitchers. he's getting out of that ballpark. And I mean, Chris Archer keeps flirting with a 4 ERA. But the strikeouts are so high, he pitches so deep into games that we still consider him a borderline ace. But he's I mean, not. Darvish, I feel like, is a better version of that. But he, but Archer wasn't a, a borderline ace last year. Also, well, not he, with a four ERA. We, we, we all view him as that, Because right? we think that he will have a better ERA. Mm. But four, you know, okay, look, four is high. Four he's is he's high. had some win-loss issues, too. Look, I, I would be happy to draft you, Darvish, in the 12 range at starting pitcher. Yeah. I'm a little lower than that, but I don't think that's... Like that that's just personal preference at that point. He is a borderline ace. I don't expect him to necessarily be a top 10 fantasy pitcher. I do think there's slightly more injury risk for him than there is for a lot of the other pitchers in that 10 to 15 range. Um, it's easy to forget. He's got well over 2,000 innings on his arm because yeah. of how much he threw in Japan. So, And he's already had it once. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, so uh, not much change there for not, – not much at all, really, for you, Darvish. Good stuff. So uh, you're going to be setting up your your new league soon. You better be doing that on CBSSports.com and go to CBSSports.com slash FBT, as in Fantasy Baseball Today. CBSSports.com slash FBT when you sign up. 
Our commissioner product has launched. It is the best place to play. We love it. You can customize your own stat categories. You can adjust scoring by position. There's a very deep player pool, so if you like Dynasty Leagues, this is the place to play, cbsports.com slash FBT, and you can trade picks up to three years in advance, so if you're playing for now or you're playing for the future, whatever it is. We have advanced stats for those of you who love the analytics, and we have this awesome podcast to help you out as well, and if you do listen to the podcast and you want to sign up for one of our commissioner leagues, please do it at cbsports.com slash FBT, cbsports.com slash FBT. Get your league started today. All right, here's our email of the day. It is from Brian from fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Brian says, Dear Non-Zero Chance, With you guys talking about reliever strategies and how it's harder to find quality starting pitching, wouldn't the lack of quality at starting pitcher make getting a top reliever even more important? I love the idea of drafting Jansen or Kimbrell early in a draft, maybe fourth or fifth round. I think it makes a lot of sense getting a high strike rate, low whip, ERA, saves, not to mention just a quality pitcher. I would want it to get a. I would want to get a starting pitcher in this range to complement a reliever. What do you guys think of taking Kimbrel or Jansen in the fourth or fifth round? P.S. Bring back Kokomo Fridays. Here's the problem with that. Fr- Kokomo Friday? No. <laughs> the fourth or fifth round is where that you are still drafting. There are still quality starting pitchers available, and if you're worried about not getting enough quality starting pitchers available, uh, um, and and having to fill in with relievers, why are you going to pass up a quality starting pitcher for a reliever? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, I think what it comes down to is like Archer, Darvish, right. and Kenley Jansen. Those those are the guys you can get in the fifth round. How are you leaning in that uh, I feel conundrum? far more confident, and this is – Jansen's one of the few relievers that I would say this about. I feel more confident in getting an elite performance out of Jansen than I do Archer or Darvish. Um, most relievers, the problem I have, especially once you get out of the top three or four this year, is it feels like, man, these guys could give us a sub three ERA and 40 saves, or they might lose the job in May. Well, here's the other thing to remember about relief pitchers is the ace relievers who aren't getting saves, a lot of them aren't even going to be drafted. So if you really need ERA and whip help, you know, a lot of them aren't even discovered yet. I mean, we didn't know Tommy Canely was going to be who he was last year. We didn't know... Uh, you know, Anthony Swarzak. Yeah, there, and there's just, going to be guys like that emerging off the waiver wire all the time. It's worth noting a three ERA from a relief pitcher is not very valuable. Even like a two eight, which we think of as pretty good, you're mostly just treading water there. Just because they're not pitching enough innings to make a difference. Like a two eight from a reliever is better than a four from a starter, right? Like if you have a roster could, full of I four look, starters. I could run the numbers on that. I don't think that's necessarily it's probably pretty close to a push what so what and maybe i just missed this what was the average era last year uh it was so to finish the median to finish sixth was 4.04 last season which is no good to win was 351 to win what? What does that mean? I would be interested to, to say win what the, the numbers category. say, but i would if if, if four you could be top five six. with a 390 era uh an ER, a starter with but you also, is, but you can't just take into account ERA. You also have to take into account the fact that the guy with the four ERA at starting pitcher, let's say Jeff Samarja, you're going to get yeah. 170 strikeouts or right. more. Yeah, I mean you're, you're going Jeff, to get Jeff Samarja is much later in the draft too. If we're talking yeah. about a well, you're going to get rounder. more help in strikeouts and wins. You're going to get less help in WHIP and saves. I think it's pretty close to a push. Uh, right, the innings aren't enough to because yeah, to move like, the needle. Because your your elite relievers, 
Kenley Jansen, 132 ERA in 68 innings last year, was only slightly more helpful than Drew Pomerantz. Drew Pomerantz with a 332 ERA. Well, that's a, that's a big difference in a four. Sure, but that's these are the examples that I have in front of me. I I understand. Well, get more. Is, what I'm saying is a four is not and helping if, you if, in ERA. If a your reliever hang, is helping you, right? If you're an elite reliever. Once you start getting into the two eight three ERA cat range, it's just like maybe a half of a standing point. Maybe. Right. And that's why we're talking about making right. an attempt to get an elite reliever, mm-hmm. and right? Not settling on the guys. But there's second. two. Well, there's two that, two two that get saves. saves. There are there right. are going to be a lot who don't get saves. But yeah, that's question is how valuable are the guys that don't get saves because they're going to help you in ERA and WHIP. But it's nice to have the guys that help you in three categories. And like I said on a yeah. show last week. Heath and Scott in the Roto League, in one of our Roto Leagues last year, took completely different approaches to relief pitcher and their pitching staffs in general. They both did very, very well. They finished very close in the standings. So there may not be a right answer here, but I, like, even in the points leagues where you only start two relievers and, you know, and some of them can be starting pitchers who just have RP eligibility, I've been kind of frustrated not getting consistent production from my relievers. And I feel like sometimes my teams ebb and flow based on how many saves I'm getting that week. So it is sort of appealing to maybe reach a little bit and get Kimbrell or Jansen, um, maybe maybe Chapman, and try to get a guy who's going to get over 40 saves and be really good. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I've really evolved on, on relief pitcher. It used to be kind of a throwaway position for me. It absolutely is not anymore. I, I don't well, want to go through the, the same part, argument we had last week, but, yeah, go ahead and finish up, guys. Part of what's changed it is that Kimbrell and Jansen have so consistently been at the top for how how many years? Now? I mean, J- Kimbrell had that one off year yeah. two years ago, mm-hmm. uh, but otherwise it's been those at top two of the rankings for, like, five or around five years, right? And, and uh, that Kimbrell's basically been a top two or three reliever for seven years now. Yeah, so that's – I mean, that's – you used to not see that. Mm-hmm. First of all, I mean, obviously Rivera was a good closer for a long time, but he didn't stand out by so much in the non-save categories to consistently finish that high among relievers. So that, like, these two have been standouts at a position uh, where you're reliable standouts at a position where reliability is, is usually not something you're counting on. And, and they, it does make a dip. Like, I, I would at least consider drafting them early when I used to never consider right, drafting right. relievers. And they early. were the only two relief pitchers who were top 10 pitchers last season in road. You know who I think is going to lose his job? Nope. Ken, Ken Giles. Do yeah, I, maybe. Do I really and, believe and, that? And, I'm not sure, but it's got to be in the back of your mind because he lost it in the World Series. So it's got to be in the back of your mind when you draft Ken yeah, Giles. Yeah, but he, he could have a one ERA next year too. The, what what makes that funny is, yeah, he did lose it in the World Series. He's lost it in the past. He, I think the chances of him losing it again are pretty high. He's my fourth closer. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, he's got such a That's great opportunity. That's why you might want to reach for one of the top two guys and why you might want not want to reach at all otherwise. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, why do we not uh, – God, we're going to do RP preview next week. So next week I will ask you why do we not put a role this Chapman in this discussion, and we'll find out. Oh, I forgot about him. Giles is my fifth closer. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, one other news item. Dustin Fowler is apparently the favorite to be Oakland's starting center fielder, according to MLB.com's Jane Lee. Fowler came over from the Yankees in the Sonny Gray deal. And he's got speed. He's coming off a really horrific injury, though. But uh, if Dustin Fowler is the starting center fielder for the A's, is he a mixed-league viable outfielder for you? I, yeah, he is somebody. And I had him ranked quite a bit higher. Um 
in my first run, and then I was looking at it, and I didn't think he was the favorite to be the starting center fielder in Oakland, so I kind of dropped him a little bit. But if he's going to be ready for spring training and he's going to be their starting center fielder, especially in Roto, he's mixed league because he could be a 30-steal guy. Oakland is so interesting, just up and down the lineup. They've got so many interesting guys. I could see drafting him as like a bench option in a five-outfielder league, Dustin Fowler, Mm -hmm. but it's not – you know, he's not like a can't-miss prospect. I, I think the upside for him is Brett Gardner, who you're probably drafting as a fourth outfielder as it is. All right, guys. Uh, we got rankings disputes. What about these guys? And I forgot to mention, I wanted to get to our NL-only draft. If we don't do that today, we'll definitely carve out time tomorrow for the NL-only draft, which we did on Friday. And I would just say that hitters in NL-only, they suck. Uh, it was not <laughs> not as deep at hitter uh, as the American League, that's for sure. But I was talking to a buddy yesterday who's considering doing something that I think some people in the in your office in Fort Lauderdale do. Set up two separate eight-team leagues, one AL only, one NL only, and have the winner of each meet in the World Series to decide the fantasy champion. That used to be something that was done here, yes. Yeah, it's kind of I a cool idea. I think the gimmick wore off pretty quick. Why? It was kind, <laughs> of, uh, it was kind of a pain to manage. Oh, because okay. you, you have to, like, you have to figure out how trades are going to be handled across leagues. Oh, um, you don't do trades across leagues. Well, what if a guy's traded in real life across leagues? Oh, those trades. Oh, I thought you meant like, yeah, I mean, how could a trade across the league work, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, it they, was he, just, yeah. I don't know. It, it didn't catch on. Okay. Well, it's an but I, I hope they enjoy it. I hope they have a great time. Uh, let's, uh, let's fight. Rankings disputes. Scott has Jonathan Scope sixth in Roto. Heath has Scope 14th. What? Wow. Chris. That is a big difference. Chris, why don't you weigh in here? Are you closer to 6th or 14th for Jonathan Scope? Uh, Probably a little closer to Scott on this one, um, but I'm interested in hearing Heath's reasoning. Me too. Heath, go ahead. One, I like stolen bases. Jonathan Scope does not steal bases. Two, I kind of feel like Jonathan Scope is a borderline just compiler. He did have a great year last year. I don't want to sell him short. There's not anything that looks way out of line. I mean, I think the batting average probably falls back to this 270 range. I don't expect him to hit 290 again. I think the home runs fall back below 30. I don't expect this Orioles lineup to be very good, especially in the second half of the season. I don't think he comes close to those 90 runs and 100 RBI numbers. And so I just expect something more like what we saw in 2016. And without any stolen bases, I'd rather have those in Roto. Okay, some of the guys that Heath has ranked ahead of Jonathan Scope, Ozzy Albies, Cano, Odor, Moncada, Nunez, DeYoung, and Hap. Scott, you have— DeYoung is the one what? that stands out to me. That's like, it? Aren't you, aren't you hoping Paul DeYoung <clears throat> has a full season as good as— Jonathan Scopes, and aren't his glaring weaknesses exactly the same as Jonathan Scopes, except without the track record? Um, in some ways, yes. I mean, his pace from last year is better than Jonathan Scopes. Sure, but you don't expect homeless. him to. I don't expect that. that, but he may have. I I think we just saw Jonathan Scopes' upside. Probably that's, saw that's Paul Young's upside. We may we may have, but we haven't even seen a full season out of him yet. Sure, what, but what he had, he had a three fifty BABIP and hit was a you know was on a what. 37 homer pace, that's probably his best season. And if he does that, he'll be better than Scope was last year. 
Well, Scope yes. was the number five second baseman in both points in Roto. So Scott, make your case for Jonathan Scope, sixth ahead of Merrifield, Cano, Nunez, LeMahieu, et cetera. Well, you just said it. He was number five in Roto last year. The main reason I have Scope ranked where I do is because I have to rank some second baseman in that spot, and I think there are probably a dozen deserving candidates, but Scope is um, the most proven, has the fewest red flags, and uh, just did it last year. So I'm not going to have many shares of Scope. I feel like he typically goes in the range I rank him in, but I would rather have Ozzie Albies half the draft later. So, you know, I... Heath's is more of a statement ranking, and I respect that. I don't, I, DeYoung and, and Hap, Ian Hap, the two he ranks ahead of him are two that I would not even consider in the same range, but guys like Ozzy Albies, yeah, I think he could be better than Scope. Okay, and that's kind of an interesting point. There's a clear top five at second base in some order of Altuve, Jose Ramirez, Dozier, D. Gordon, Daniel Murphy. And then after that, Scott says he's got to put someone sixth, but he's not going to certainly reach for Jonathan Scope, and Scope is 14th for Heath. So it's a good way to look at the position of second base. I'll just say this one last thing for Scope. Let's take his last three years because it's easy to compare 2016 and 17. 2016, Scope was uh, like the number 12. No, he's number 14 second baseman in 162 games. So he was like whatever. But you look at 2015 and 2017. The batting, the the home runs, at least the home run pace, because he only played, I think, 86 games. Uh, The BABIP, the hard contact rate, all very similar, 2015 and 2017. So it's possible that 2016 was just the outlier, and he really does have that much power, and he really can be that good again. Just throwing that out there. Don't forget about what he did in 2015. All right, next Roto ranking. Same position, Yoan Moncada. Uh, Heath has Yoan Moncada 10th in Roto. Scott has him 16th. 10th for Heath, 16th for Scott. Scott, you get the first word on Yoan Moncada. Oh, boy. Uh, well, we don't know yet that Yoan Moncada is going to be useful in any way. Uh, we'd hoped he'd be a big-time base stealer. He hasn't shown evidence of that at the major league level. He did start to hit a little in September finally, but still with a strikeout rate that uh, is concerning. He's on my breakout list, so I could certainly see him living up to a, more production than I rank him as. But second base, there are so many options that I think are startable that um, to rank him among them I think is a bigger risk than I'm willing to take. I'd rather have him on the back end of that group and just you know, get, a, get him at a point where um, if he doesn't break out, it doesn't hurt me. Heath, Moncada. Uh, this points probably to something I'm going to be writing in the next couple of weeks, and it is that I, I'm really tired of worrying about floor and roto. Like In points leagues, you're playing to finish in the top six so you can get in the playoffs and hopefully win three coin tosses in a row and be named a champion. In Roto, you must be the best team in the league for the entire season, or your entire season was a waste. (laughs) Finishing sixth in Roto means you quit playing in July. So I am going to rank guys that I think have huge upside, which I think Mankata does. I think he has Trey Turner upside. He was a consensus top five prospect two years in a row coming into last year. He's had 251 plate appearances in the major leagues. In the minors, he was consistently a 280, 290 hitter with 40 to 50 steal potential. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, and you higher and you, higher than that. He had forty to fifty steals in eighty and one hundred and six games, respectively. And you do have Mankata tenth in Roto, fourteenth in points. So that's reflected, yeah, what you just said. Um, I, I guess here's the question: Like Scott, are you concerned that you know if you rank Mankata sixteenth, that you just you're never going to get him? And you know, do you have to make sure? Do you have to reach for him? I guess in your case, to make sure that you get the opportunity for the upside. Uh, you probably, I, I would probably have to rank him higher to have a realistic opportunity at him. But I, I guess what it ultimately boils down to is if I don't get him, I'm not going to be that upset because or, it's a major risk. What about this? What if you do get him and he struggles? Can you just get away from him and figure, as long as it's not a middle infield league, as long as you're just playing one second base? Because um, mm-hmm. a lot of head-to-head categories leagues are like that, right? Okay, I, I draft Moncada. Maybe I take him a little earlier than I wanted to. Uh, he doesn't work out after a month or whatever. I bench him or I get rid of him. And there's plenty of second baseman on the waiver wire. Do you think it's a deep enough position where you can go get Jason Kipnis or maybe a DeYoung or something like that and, and be okay failing with Moncada if it's just short term? Well, I guess the question to ask is re- where would you have to target Moncada to get him and what would you be giving up in the process? Because there are other, there are other positions to consider. There are positions that aren't going to have as much depth on the waiver wire as second base, uh, hopefully will. Mm-hmm. Because it's a good point. Like, if, if you could get Moncada around 16 or later, yeah, I'll wait to get Moncada. And, uh, if it doesn't work out, I'll address it later. If you have to draft him in round 12 where like Matt Olson is going, who's Matt Olson's shown a lot more at the major league level, I'll take Matt Olson. Okay. And I think Olson is currently below Moncada in ADP. I do want to point out, Moncada has been Exposed a little bit in the high minors. He's still hitting 280, uh, between double A AA and triple A in 125 games. However, that comes with a two, 29.2% strikeout rate. He's been running a 377 Babbitt between triple A and double A. He's only stolen 26 bases in 125 games there. He's been caught 12 times, so he's gotten less efficient as a base stealer as well, which is a concern because this is a guy who you know, all the projections where he's going to fill out and still be a power-speed combo, but maybe not a 50-steal guy. and Maybe he doesn't have that upside anymore. Now, between 125 games in AA and AAA, you're talking about 23 homers, 26 steals, 280 batting average. If that's just the upside, you know, you're, you're probably talking about a second-round pick. It- and and the thing that's been most discouraging for me about Moncada in the majors so far, I, I like what he did last September. I think he could still be a good hitter. It's the steals. Was was he a was he a um uh high percentage stealer in the minors? Yes. Like was early he very on. early on? Yeah. Uh in high in his time in high A and regular class A, um he stole forty nine bases and was caught stealing three times in twenty fifteen. That's good. And then <laughs> that's pretty good. Thirty six and eight. At Salem, high A. So maybe there's a way to redeem that, but he just hasn't run much at the majors, and it's it's not at all uncommon to see players run like crazy in the minors, and then they get to the majors, and they're just not asked to do that anymore. Jock Peterson voice. Jock Peterson. All right, Chris, guess what? Since you don't have rankings, I'm going to give you an assignment. You are going okay. to be the official ADP boy of the show, you have to tell us. ADP I, boy. ADP boy. Either where these I've guys. Got it, I've got it set up. Okay, okay. Or you could look at a previous draft that we've done and say, well, in this draft, he went here. But I'll leave that up to you. You are ADP boy. 
we look forward to this new role for you. All right, new ranking dispute. Let's go to a relief pitcher. Heath has Brad Hand eighth in Roto. Scott has Brad Hand 15th. And Hand last year had a 2.16 ERA, 21 saves and 26 chances. He had 104 Ks in 79 and a third and a .93 whip. He was awesome. All right, so Heath is the high guy. Hand is eighth. Scott has him 15th. Heath, give me a hand. <laughs> Can we just call him left-handed Wade Davis from now on? They tried to make him work as a starter, tried to make him work as a starter, shipped him out of Florida, put him in the bullpen, and he becomes a good reliever. And it's not just what he did last year. Over the last two years now, and that's, what, 154 games, he has a 2.56 ERA, a 1.02 whip. And the fact that they just gave him this extension, I think both makes it less likely that he's traded away to become a middle reliever somewhere. Because that was my real concern for him when I started ranking was, well, the Padres could be 20 games out of it in July and they could just ship him off. That's still a real nice contract for a middle reliever for yeah. some big market team. It, it could be. Like, you can't see the Cubs trading for his $18 million over the next well, the Cubs three don't years. have a closer right now, so I'd be okay with that. <laughs> but, uh, Yankees. Red Sox. You can't see one of Dodgers. I think it makes it less likely that the Padres are going to trade him this year. I I would say that if you look at the history of guys that signed extensions before the season, they are traded at a lower rate than other guys. Yeah, I I would say I think it's just as likely with with this specific guy just because the Padres still aren't going to win, and that contract is They might have Eric Hosmer. All right, well, back to – okay, so I'll say this. This is kind of interesting. Brad Hand – in points leagues last year where saves matter, like saves matter a lot more than just your ratio stats. He was the number 16 closer. And how many saves did he have again? He had 21 saves. So he wasn't the closer the whole year, right? No. No. No, no he became the closer in like May or June. Yeah, so I guess this exercise doesn't necessarily work. But he was number 16 in points at RP. And he was number 7 in Roto, which is where Heath has him. Oh, he has him eighth. So Scott, 15th for hand. It's not like you – are down on him or anything, but you hate Brad but Hand. lower. No, um, no, he's uh, yeah. he's not the last of my of the closers who I, you know, are like a hundred percent to begin the year in that role. So, uh, and you look at the percentages. He he was actually a reliever I was going to point out when we were talking about um, relievers who can help in the roto categories who aren't going to get your saves. Well, hands you can get, you know, on the later side, and he will at least give you some saves. The reason. I rank him uh, low among, well, relative to Heath, is because that while the percentages are good, like the main thing I want from a closer is saves. I want them to carry me in that category, and I do think he's going to come up short there because I think the Padres are just horrendous. And I think they were last year, too. They somehow managed to win 71 games. Their Pythagorean win-loss record, which takes into account runs scored, runs given up, had them winning 59 games. It's a 12-game difference that, like, it's the biggest I can remember seeing. Andy Green probably should have won manager of the year just based on that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you just look at the Padres' roster. It is so bad. Bereft. Is that the word? (laughs) Yes. Of talent. It's very bad. The pitching staff especially. I have four Padres in my top 300. (laughs) <laughs> Four, like it's 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 an awful team. They're going they're going to struggle to win sixty games, I think. And and while you know winning the seventy one they did last year, um, 
gave Hand a decent save total for the time he was in the role. I, I just don't I don't see that happening again. I think I think third you're drafting him expecting less than 30. Here's here's the thing I would point out about Brad Hand is he overperformed his ERA a little bit, but that's fine. His FIP was 303. He's a good reliever. The problem is you look at his stat line and you see two gaudy strikeout numbers, 111 and 104 over the last two seasons. He's probably not going to come close to that this year. Why? Because closers don't throw 80 or 80 or 90 innings. It just doesn't happen. Right, but he's probably going to be closer to like 60 to 65 innings. Right, I, I would agree with that completely. But I'm just comparing him to other closers. No, I, I know. I'm just, the top I'm just five and strikeouts. Yeah, I'm just pointing out that that number is going to go down. He'll probably be in the 85 to 90 range. Yeah, my bigger concern is just he's among the many closers who I look at and say he might have the job in July. Now it's probably not because he's going to be bad. It's probably because he's, I think he's very likely to get traded still. Alright, that's Brad Hand. We got one more rankings dispute to get to. But first, I gotta tell you about SeatGeek. Hey, maybe you wanna get somebody tickets for Valentine's Day? I don't know if that's the most romantic thing, but maybe get them for yourself. Um, or tell your <laughs> wife, hey, go on SeatGeek and, and buy me some tickets and use the promo code Fantasy, or tell your husband or your boy, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, tell, use the promo code fantasy. That's, that's the most important thing though. Download the SeatGeek app. You want 20 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase, you use the promo code fantasy. So look, buying tickets to sports, concerts, comedy, theater, used to be a pain in the butt. You gotta go to all these different websites. I remember I used to, oh man, I used to go to so many and I would often go to Craigslist, which was really weird, weird to think about now, and that's how I would get my tickets. But now I just use SeatGeek. It's the only thing I use. I am going to get so many Yankees tickets off of SeatGeek this year, and I know I'm going to get the best price because I've actually compared SeatGeek to other apps, other websites. SeatGeek is almost always giving me the best price, and I'm getting that 20 bucks off on my first purchase with the promo code FANTASY. SeatGeek saves you time and money, searches multiple sites, grades every ticket based on value, and every purchase is fully guaranteed. You can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. So download it right now. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for the best deals on sports, concerts, comedy, and theater. Download the SeatGeek app and use the promo code FANTASY. That's promo code FANTASY for 20 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase. Let's get our last guy here, Sonny Gray. Heath has him 38th. Scott has Sonny Gray 22nd. Adam is very confused on how good of a pitcher (laughs) Sonny Gray is. Just baffled by him. They lost confidence in him in the postseason for sure. And then he went out and had a great start against the Astros in the ALCS. So uh, we know what he's capable of. But I don't know who Sonny Gray is anymore. So you guys help me out, Sonny Gray. I'll let Scott go first. Oh, you'll let me go first. No, Thank nice. you. Give, nice. give yourself time to collect your thoughts. Um, the so swinging Sonny, strike rate, Scott. That's where you start, right? It, it is with the swinging strike rate for Sonny. Sonny Gray, had, from the time he'd been in the league, had been an elite ground ball pitcher. And that's what made him the runner-up for the AL Cy Young in 2015, I think it was. Um but there was always this underlying concern. Well, he doesn't strike out batters like uh, pitchers on that level. And, you know, we all we all thought it caught up to him in 2016 when he had a terrible ERA. He apparently learned something from that season because last year, not not only did he have the elite ground ball rate, but he was also had one of the best swinging strike rates in all the majors. Uh, you know, normally his his swinging strike rate would have been like 60th among qualifiers. And it was uh, about 15th, 17th among qualifiers with increased slider usage. He was able to miss more bats. And so that takes him to 
that takes him from a guy who does one thing exceptionally well to doing two things exceptionally well. Probably the best two things a pitcher can do exceptionally well, you know, as long as he's not walking everybody in sight. And uh, I think he actually could have been even better than he was last year because of it. I think he had there, – there's reason to suspect his ERA was higher than it should have been. There's certainly reason to suspect his win-loss record was worse than it should have been. It was actually sub-500 even with the Yankees, and he had a sub-4 ERA with them. Mm-hmm. So he had bad luck with the win-loss record for sure um, and uh, I think is about to have his best season – with a t- with an, a great offense backing him, a great bullpen, you know maybe the Yankees might be as equipped as any team in history to preserve lead, to give their pitcher a lead and preserve it for him. So I think he's going to win a lot of games and uh, be the best possible version of himself. All right, this is Sonny Gray. We're talking about Heath. What are your drawbacks with Sonny Gray, thirty eighth overall? I will concede that the win loss record was unlucky and he should have been better. I will argue that the ERA. If anything, the evidence shows that his ERA should have been higher. His FIP was 3.9, his ex-FIP was 3.76, and he has been a pitcher in the past that has outperformed his FIP. He's also been a pitcher year before last where his ERA was much worse than his FIP. What really was the difference maker in Oakland in 2014-2015 when he wasn't striking anyone out, he had a really low Babbitt, pitched in front of a very good defense in a huge park. His defense was dreadful in 2016. And that was only part of the problem. He also gave up way too many dongs. He made 11 starts for the Yankees and gave up 11 home runs yeah. last year. Mm-hmm. I am worried about the home runs. Yeah, he gave, up, he gave up eight eight at Yankee Stadium in 28 and two-thirds. So that's that, not yeah. good, no. especially for a guy that's pitched his entire career in Oakland. Mm-hmm. But doesn't it seem fluky for a guy who gets as many ground balls as he does to to, to have home run issues? Like, yeah. His strength is putting the ball on the ground. I I understand. It does seem fluky. Um, It's not going to seem as fluky when it happens at Yankee Stadium as it did in 2016 when he gave up almost 1.4 home runs per nine. That seemed really fluky because he was pitching for the Athletics. Yeah, but he had a 17% home run to fly ball rate. That's that's high. So Uh, That's higher than you would expect. Uh, So since people don't really know Sonny Gray's stats off the top of their head— he did go 10 and 12 with a 3.55 ERA. I, they're like he's really interesting to me because they're just they're encouraging signs like the the K rate up and the swinging strike rate and the discouraging signs. I think, uh, you know, his numbers with the Yankees. His first eight starts with the Yankees were great. 2.66 ERA. His last three starts were terrible. 12 run runs and 14 and two thirds. So maybe and that, that's where I gave up basically all the home runs was in no. those last three starts. Was it? Uh, I didn't think so. Well, he gave up. He gave. He had. He had three. Starts where he gave up multiple home runs. He gave up seven home runs in three September starts. And all his other starts with the Yankees, he gave up a combined four home runs. The other thing I will say is I I do believe in the fact that Sonny Gray needs to have good infield defense behind him. I don't know who half of the Yankees' infield defense is going to be. If they were to sign a good defensive second baseman and third baseman, that I would I would like him a little bit more. I think he's less dependent on that now. And part of the reason I think he his ERA was um, – higher than it could have been is because I feel like his K per nine was lower than it should have been for as 
as high as the swinging strike rate. I understand that angle. When it's also the highest of his career over a full season, I'm going to be less likely to believe it's going to go up again next year. Well, I I mean, he had a 355 ERA and a 121 whip, and we're talking about Sonny Gray having a bad season, so that's probably a good sign. That's that's kind of what I'm saying. But he did have a 372. He had a bad season in 2016. Oh yeah, that was bad. But I'm saying last season probably should have been better than it was for Sonny Gray, and it was still very good. All right, last point. Yeah, 355 ERA is not bad. No, no, it's good. It's I mean, I mean, for for this being a what we consider a bad, I know that 2016 was terrible for Gray, but he was obviously hurt. If we're disappointed in Gray having a 355 ERA, a 1.21 WHIP, and nearly a strikeout printing, you know, then then I think it's pretty good. Uh, But last thing, and Scott, you should pay close attention to this. I know you love innings. He had he had a what third time through the order he had a 5.66 ERA, and the Yankees probably will have a pretty quick hook with anybody who struggles the that's, third time through the that's order. That's the thing, as you said, no team has ever been better. What was it? Better served. Better, better equipped. Better to equipped both to give, give their pitcher a lead and yeah. hold it. No team has ever been better equipped to pull their starter in the fifth inning. It's well, except true. for the Diamondbacks because they have a. Pool. It's true. But <laughs> I would say once you get to this stage in the where I have Sonny Gray twenty second, things are like those aren't the guys you're you're counting to go seven plus consistently. My, my I good, mean I mean Lester and Quater are there, but they have big issues apart from our them. good friends over at Fangraphs, Steamer Projections have them at 186 next year. I think that seems completely reasonable. That's, That's good. very good. They also yeah. have them with a four two five ERA. Which I think is also not that far out of the range of possibility. Why, why should I care about that? I mean, like, what it the is projections so, say? yeah, it is so hard to predict baseball. Why the hell should I care what the steamers say? No offense, steamers. Like, well, what, why, what are, what are we here for? What well, what are we here for if we're just gonna say, like, what the steep, what the steamers say? Well, I, I just think it's nice to have occasionally when, when the computers agree with me to throw <laughs> that number out there. <laughs> when they agree with him. I'm I not guess. gonna say it if it agrees with uh, Scott. Yeah. I, I, I guess. You know what? The steamer projection does seem like a feasible possibility. One of thousands of them. Yeah, okay. I think a 424 or a 423 or a 422. <laughs> <laughs> Pakoda gives him a 399. ADP boy, where is Sonny Gray going? He is actually perfectly in the middle of Scott and Heath's rankings. Uh-huh. He is 30th. That is the average of their rankings. When will you change your Twitter handle to at ADP boy? Uh, I can change my display name right now, but if I change my <laughs> handle, I lose my check mark and oh. I won't have anything to live for. Oh, okay. Yeah, we would not want to do that to Chris Towers, uh, con- constant tweeter, Chris Towers, at C Towers, at, at C Towers CBS? Yes, right? Don't follow. Don't do it. At, at CBS Scott White, at Heath Cummings Senior, at Heath Cummings SR, I am at Adam Azer. A-I-Z-E-R. All right, so that was a pretty long ranking dispute segment, but good stuff. We figured out a little bit about the second base position. We talked about Brad Hand, how many saves he might get, and if he'll get traded. And I really enjoyed the Sunny Gray discussion. So, what about these guys? Uh, this will have to be a quicker segment, fellas. So, we'll do, it. <laughs> we'll do NL only tomorrow. I want to read some emails as well at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Are we forgetting about them? Are they good late-round picks? I have their ADP here, so you tell me if it's good value. We were pretty excited about Jose Peraza uh, going into last year, and he had a really bad season. What about Jose Peraza? Is he still worth a late-round pick? 190th overall isn't too, too late. Do you guys still like Jose Peraza? Do you want to have him on your team? I don't. I I see him as... A fallback option for steals in a roto league. That'd be the only format I target him in. But, uh, frankly, 
his production in that category, which has to be the category that carries him, was not very good last year. 23 steals and uh, caught eight times. Like, he probably shouldn't have run more than that. I I think he's better than the 23 steal guy. He was all the way through the minors. He was in the half season where he played in 2016. He is definitely someone I like targeting at the end of the draft, just as a steel specialist, but it's so hard to find guys who can help you at all on stolen bases that I do have some interest in him. I he, think he's being, he was being way overrated at this time a year ago, and now I think he's being way overlooked. He needs to get the Willie Mays Hayes treatment, and should have to do push-ups every time he hits the ball in the air. Uh, he has no pop whatsoever. None, Just yeah. Pound it into the ground and get to first base. Okay, this is Jose Peraza we're talking about. Uh, is uh, Heath, who's your sleeper on the Royals? Mondesi? Real Mondesi, yes. Yeah, Mondesi or Peraza, who's a better late round pick? Um, I think you have to say Peraza now because he is guaranteed to have a job. Yeah. I think there is a better chance that Mondesi turns into like, oh crap, he can hit than Peraza at this point. Okay. But just because we haven't seen him fail as much. I'm just but, I'm I'm hoping for an empty two eighty from Jose Peraza. Alright guys, next next uh player on what about these guys is Patrick Corbin. He's going two hundred and forty third overall. We kind of forget about Patrick Corbin. His last twenty starts or so were were pretty good. Uh twenty games, nineteen starts, three twenty one ERA. And he's gonna be a high whip guy, but you'll take that at two hundred and forty third overall. Patrick Corbin, what do you think? I think he's kind of a poor man's Danny Duffy, and he is underrated. Um, he, he is always a little hitter, hittable than you feel like he should be, and so the whip's going to be on the high side because of that. But uh, the strikeout rate down the stretch last year actually was pretty good. He, he gives you innings. He has a great lineup backing him. Um, for me, he's just outside my top 50 starting pitchers, and I, I know his ADP consensus is much lower than that. Okay, that's Patrick or Corbin. It, ranking consensus, not ADP consensus. Yeah, I, I am not excited about a high whip guy that gives up a bunch of home runs and doesn't strike anybody out. He has a decent strikeout rate. He's over 8 per 9, right? That's not decent anymore. That is decent. 240th? That is above average. Yeah, I think that's... He had one bad month last season. Uh, he had a 9 ER. He gave up 26 runs in 26 innings in 5 starts in May. Other than that, he was pretty much four or below four every month until September, when I think he just had one bad start. Yeah, he had an eight-run outing, but the others were... uh, You are right, Scott. It is still above average. Eight, three, four is now average. He was... Patrick Corbin was, I think, better as a fantasy option last season than people think. Yeah. All right, moving along here. Sorry, sorry, uh, but thank you for changing your Twitter name, by the way, which you've already You're done. welcome. To ADP Boy. Mark Trumbo, three picks after Patrick Corbin. Mark Trumbo was a top five outfielder in 2016 and a huge bust in 2017. Are we forgetting about Mark Trumbo, or should we forget about Mark Trumbo? Mm. Like, best case scenario for Trumbo He's giving you a lot of the thing that there's a lot of. <laughs> Worst case scenario for Trumbo, he's giving you absolutely nothing. And I think, uh, you know, I I think I, I give him less than fifty percent chance of being the guy he was in 2016 again. I I give him a ten percent chance of being the guy he was in 2016. Well, I mean, even just 
that kind of like yeah. you know maybe not the exact line, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. One of the elite power hitters in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, because his con like the quality of contact he was making last year was way down, right? Like yeah, yeah. it was it was not as good. Um, if he looks like he just started to go off the cliff last year. I mean, scary age. Which of these numbers isn't like the other? 14, 22, 47, 23. Yeah, 47. I did not hear any of those numbers. 47 is not that's, like this. This is his home run totals. That's a big, that's a gigantic outlier. He hasn't one season in the last four where he's been a starting caliber fantasy option. Yeah, I, yeah, even, I would say last five, cause, yeah, no, Trumbo, Trumbo has had one good season in his last five years. He's either hitting 230s yeah. or he's hitting, you know, 23 home runs and, it was just what a what a drop off now, for him last. Now there year. were a lot Terrible. of injuries along the way. Yeah, which you know I I hit on Trumbo as a sleeper pick in 2016, so I like I, I don't want to like punt on the credit I get there, but um, <laughs> I mean he he used to be an elite hitter in, in his Anaheim days before like an elite power hitter before injuries. So like I I do think he still has that potential in him. I just think he's. Like, it's not just health that's a concern anymore. It's age also. All right, next guy on the what about these guys list is Hunter Renfro, who's going 23 picks after Mark Trumbo. 269th overall. Certainly a guy we were excited about as a late-round pick last year. Not so much right now. Hunter Renfro. Heath, who would you rather have, Renfro or Trumbo? You know, I probably have Trumbo ranked higher, but I would probably rather take a shot on Renfro the more that I think about it. And I do think, yeah, we are overlooking him just a little bit. I mean, he still hit 26 home runs and 479 plate appearances in his rookie year. He strikes out too much. He strikes out 5 to 10% more than he did at basically any minor league level except for 2013. I think there's a chance those Ks come down a little bit. I think there's a chance he has, he's a 300 BABIP guy, so he hits closer to 250, 260. We're a little too low on him. Hunter Renfro. Okay, uh, yeah, and for you daily fantasy players... 316, 392, 684 slash line for Renfro against lefties. And 13 walks to 23 strikeouts against lefties. He's just. And that might, that might be part of the reason I don't hate the Padres quite as much. I think (laughs) Renfro should be better. I think Manuel Margot is probably going to be better. He was a lot better in the second half last year. Jose Perella is a sort of interesting sleeper. They have, right. they have some guys. Well, they let might me wind up with six players in the top 300. <laughs> <laughs> let me, let me give you a player that could be under, under, very underrated in points leagues. Brandon Belt. Brandon Belt is, he is getting traded. It doesn't matter in points leagues. Brandon Belt is going 317th overall. Now he doesn't have huge upside, but two years ago, Brandon Belt was the number 11 first baseman in points leagues. Last year, he only played 104 games, but, you know, I always give 155 games. If he had done that, he would have been the number 12 first baseman in points leagues. You shouldn't be rushing to, you know, in a shallow points league, you shouldn't be rushing to get a guy whose upside is like 12th. But he walks a lot, and he hits doubles, and he gets triples. Um, is But Brandon Bell is going 317th overall. Like, that just seems way too late for him. Well, what's interesting about Brandon Belt is he averaged, and we're, you know, we're talking in a points league context now. He averaged, uh, last year about the same that Justin Smoke did, fantasy points per game, about the same as Matt Carpenter. Um, you know, players we think of as, as, you know, ones that are definitely getting drafted in a standard mixed league. And he did it while hitting only 241. His BABIP was way lower than it normally is. So he had, in some ways, a bad year, 
and was still on a per game basis a starting caliber first baseman in that format. The problem is his best format is the one where you meet, maybe need one right. or two first base. That's that's one problem, and the problem also is that why did he not finish the season? Guy with concussion yeah. issues had a concussion that cost him like half the season. So is he ever even going to be the same? That's I think that's a worthy that question. Is, mm-hmm. Joe Maurer's career was pretty much ruined by concussions. Justin Morneau's career was ruined by concussions. Corey it's Koski. a real it's a real concern. Yeah, okay. all those twins. If you told me Brandon Belt was going to be traded to a park that doesn't just swallow left-handed batters whole, uh, I I think he'd be a top ten first baseman. All right, and we got three more guys here. They're all going after the 330th pick. I I want to take a shot on Steven Matz. Uh, you know, 600, 608 ERA last year. He was terrible. He was hurt, and he wasn't throwing a slider, and he wasn't getting strikeouts. Everything was bad for Matz last year. But, look, he you know, he's got the pedigree. He pitched pretty well in his first two seasons in the bigs. I want to take a shot on Steven Matz. Do you think we're forgetting about him, or are you guys kind of done with Steven Matz? You're probably right. Yep. I'd rather take a shot on Matt Harvey because I'm masochistic that way. So you're going to go down with the ship? <laughs> masochistic, even. Well, I, yeah. I mean, if if we're taking, if we're rolling a dice that a guy's going to stri- hit his best case scenario with, you know, new manager who used to be a, a you know, superstar pitching coach for the Indians, uh, I'd rather do it on a guy who's upside I knew was Cy Young caliber. So. I will say at least we have an explanation for why Matt's was bad last season. Yeah. Uh, he had the, the nerve surgery on his elbow. The question for me comes down to if he's throwing the slider or not. If he's throwing the slider, I think he has ace upside. Mm-hmm. Um, if he's not, we saw last year the rest of his stuff just isn't good. He doesn't have – it's not that it's not good. He just doesn't have the swing and miss pitch mm-hmm. that you need to put guys away, especially when you operate more in the – in the low to mid nineties than the mid to high nineties. The the thing with Matt Harvey last year was it's not like the stuff wasn't there. Oh, the know? stuff wasn't there. He was throw but he was throwing hard. He had no idea where he was going. He had just no control. And I think the thing with Matt Harvey, when I look at him compared to Steven Matz, is I'm not sure Matt Harvey was ever a pitcher. I think he just overpowered people. I, I, the velocity was down for Harvey all year. It was right? down I mean, relative to his, but that's what I'm yeah. saying is it's not like the velocity was bad relative right. to major leaguers. Right. I just don't think he can survive. I mean, and with we're, good velocity, we're kind of getting off on elite a, velocity. We're kind of getting off on a Harvey tangent here, but the same procedure he had, Mike Fultonevich had, and then was throwing 100 the very next year. So I feel like my theory with Harvey now is that uh, somewhere in his rehabilitation process, he got screwed up mechanically and if some pitching coach hopefully this hopefully mickey calloway coming in can uh straighten him out again then the velocity will come back that's that's my hope i mean obviously it's not the kind of hope you invest a mid-round pick in but just a flyer with your last pick yeah maybe you could take a flyer on either i think i've done both yeah, and uh, you you mentioned Harvey having the same procedure as Fultonevich. Well, Matt's had the same procedure that Jacob Degrom had, moving around a ligament in his elbow, and uh, you know, hopefully. Yeah, I thought it was a nerve. Nerve. Okay, yeah, my bad. And I knew it didn't sound right when I said it, but yeah. So thank you, ADP boy, and that's Stephen Matt's. Lonnie Chisenhall. Lonnie Chisenhall last year hit 288 with 12 homers in 82 games. Was his best season. Um, he only played 82 games, unfortunately. Is there a reason to draft Lonnie Chisenhall or uh, or what? Ooh. He's going super late. Oh, yawn on Chisenhall. 
Okay. More like Yanni Chisholm. <laughs> Yanni. All right, then we won't draft Lonnie Chisenhall. He'll sit against, well, no, will like, he sit against lefties? Maybe in like a daily league context where you're taking advantage of right, a righty heavy, uh, situation. AL only daily league where you play five outfielders. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I will be drafting he's, him if he's yeah. there in the last round. Right. I mean, he's outside my top 100 outfielders. Anyway. Last guy is not drafted unless it's NL only. It's Zach Wheeler. And do you have any interest in Zach Wheeler? Uh, I have interest in the disgusting thing that he's had to do all off season to try to keep his bones from breaking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's yeah, been was... giving him himself stomach injections of a, was it a bro- bone growth drug? Yeah, for usually treats patients of like osteoporosis. That's Which, what you want to hear. Yeah, I mean, the, and the way it's described is it's like, th- this simulates a human hormone to, that, uh, that, that stimulates, that stimulates bone growth. growth. That sounds like just like, drink how milk. Is this not on a banned substance, <laughs> like a list? human growth hormone. Yeah, exactly. It, I use those three words on purpose. Yes. Just, just don't abbreviate it. You're good. It's, yeah. uh, Which I mean, look, look I, it's, it's appears to be legal. I I feel like I feel like probably too many substances are banned. So I guess I'm not disappointed that this one isn't yet. I'm just. Confused by the inconsistency. Can we get a list of substances Scott thinks shouldn't be banned anymore? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I, I no. uh, the th- uh, so to actually talk about Zach Wheeler for a half a second, he's never been good. Why would we think he will be now? He's never been healthy. Why would we think he will be now? Uh, I feel like his and Garrett Cole's careers mirrored each other pretty closely in the beginning, and then, um. And then Zach Wheeler got hurt, and Garrett Cole had a near Cy Young season, and has regressed since, by the way. So I like I feel like as hard as Wheeler throws, there's still some upside there that he just hasn't gotten a chance to capitalize on yet. He's Matt and, you know, Moore. I mean, I kept falling for it with Matt Moore, so maybe I am yeah, with he's Wheeler Matt Moore. too. Well, he just but like to... nobody wants Zach Wheeler, so yeah. that's what the difference is. Get like even control. the good versions of Zach Wheeler and Matt Moore weren't that good. Just get the control. Had... Just, I mean, he's got to, he's got to throw strikes. If he's walking I mean, as many batters as he walks, then he's not going to be good. But... Zach Wheeler's had one full season in the majors, right? And, and it was good. And it wasn't bad, it was right? Okay. Yeah, he hurt you in WHIP. He did, but he helped you a little bit in ERA and strikeouts. But it was a very sunny gray season. It wasn't like a. It was a sunny gray season. It wasn't a great season. No, but look, if if a guy goes out has a three fifty four ERA and a strikeout printing and a hundred eighty five and third and a third. You know, and and just basically has to get the walks down, and that's in his second season in the majors. Like you're encouraged by that. You're looking at a guy who's got potential. You're drafting him. You I know? certainly was. Yeah, but, yeah you course. know, he missed two full seasons. He missed half of last season. He's taken osteoporosis medicine. <laughs> it's not like I'm excited to draft Zach Wheeler. No, I draft just him before I'm not, hole. I'm not banging the gavel. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's yeah. also thrown 86 innings in the last three seasons. Chris, you hate Zach Wheeler. Bad. We get he's it. He's never been good. I just, yeah, I mean, no, it's just that even the good version of him wasn't that good. Because of walks. That's, that's it, much much that, more that, accurate than he's never it, been good. It, yeah, if, that's a better if, way to word it. If Zach Wheeler has three starts at the beginning of the season where he's got his control down, like if the walks are not there, everybody's picking him up. For sure. But sure. if he does what he did in 2014, he'll be owned all year. That's the way you should approach pitchers on the waiver wire anyway if they're striking out batters and not walking them after three starts you should probably pick them up and hope it goes somewhere. i'd yeah. rather draft steven matt and matt harvey like if zach wheeler throws back-to-back no hitters like i guarantee people are going to pick him up 
<laughs> Strong disagree. <laughs> but then he'll be due for bad performances. Probably. Yeah. That's true. A lot of hitters. Okay, that's, I'd rather uh, have Nick Pavetta. Would you? I don't know, maybe. <laughs> All right, if, if he it. has three starts at the beginning here where he's striking out everybody and walking nobody. You're picking up Nick Probably. Pavetta. Yeah, probably picking up Pavetta and dropping Wheeler. That's it for the show. Um, emails and NL only, and we'll react to J.D. Martinez's inevitable signing tonight on tomorrow's show. Thanks for listening, everybody. Fantasy Baseball at CBSI.com. See ya.